Today marks the start of probably the most significant week in our church calendar. Sometimes called Passion Week or Holy Week, it's the week when we remember the seven days leading up to Easter Sunday when we celebrate the resurrection of Jesus. And if we think about it for a minute, it's a strange kind of religion, isn't it, that celebrates as its most significant festival a week when its king was betrayed, when he was arrested, when he was beaten and killed in the most horrific way imaginable, seemingly forsaken by those who had spent the last three years hanging on his every word and marveling at what he said and did. It's a strange thing that we celebrate, isn't it? What is it all about? Why is it so significant? Of course, we know because we live the other side of the resurrection that what looked to all around to have been a spectacular defeat for Jesus transpired to be the greatest victory ever seen, a victory over death itself. And over the next week, um, in our various services and events, we will be thinking about the significance of the events of this week 2,000 years ago. But here we are at the start. Today is Palm Sunday, and it's a day which celebrates Jesus' triumphal entry into Jerusalem. And we saw some pictures at the beginning of the service of people waving palm branches. And uh, I'm sure you're very familiar with all those images of Jesus riding on a donkey, the crowds shouting Hosanna and uh, laying down their cloaks before him. But sometimes, I don't know about you, but the events in the Bible, which are maybe the most familiar to us, we celebrate this day every single year, are the ones that actually we understand the least. And I was struck again this week by what an incredible storyteller Jesus is. I would have loved to have been there in the crowds, listening to him teach in all those crazy parables that we often struggle to understand, trying to figure out what it all means, like one of those riddles that people set in treasure hunts for you to try and work out where to look. We don't instantly understand what it means, but a closer look reveals such an important message. And a parable is just a story. It's a story told to illustrate a moral or a spiritual lesson. And Jesus used parables all the time. Now, actually, in the passage we're going to read today, Jesus says very little. But his actions are like a lived-out parable. They they are a, a dramatic parable, if you like. And... I want to suggest that if uh, his actions, they speak so loudly to us, if we have ears to hear. And today we're going to think about what kind of lesson Jesus is trying to convey to us through this parable, through this story that he acts out in his entry into Jerusalem. We celebrate this day every year. It must have some significance. And I wonder whether it's lost on us sometimes. So we're going to try and unpack it a little bit today. I love the Bible because it is a book with so many layers to it. It's a book where the first time we read some of the stories, it's difficult to get everything from it. We miss so much. And, but as we hear it read over and over again, as we hear it preached on, as we look at it more closely, we see that there is so much to gain. 
It's also a really complex puzzle, I think, the Bible. I imagine it like a, a, a big jigsaw puzzle. And the Gospels are like parts of the puzzle with pieces missing. And it's only when we look to the Old Testament, to things written thousands of years before, that we realize that they are actually pieces that fit into this puzzle of the Gospels that help us to see a more complete picture. And we're going to look at a bit of that this morning. We're going to be looking at one of the Old Testament prophecies, which helps us to understand this day, to understand Palm Sunday better. And I think there's no other book like it. It's, uh, it's such an exciting book to read. And I imagine that, uh, I'll, I hope, I will understand it more and more each year I go on with the Lord until one day when we see Jesus face to face, we hear its most glorious and final reading where suddenly we see clearly what God has been trying to tell us through these pages for thousands of years. So this morning we're going to look at two passages. Uh, We're going to look at one of the gospel accounts of Jesus' entry into Jerusalem. This story appears in all four gospels, but we're going to read it in Mark today. And then we're going to look at a passage from the prophet Zechariah. So this is Mark chapter 11, verses 1 to 11. Uh, You can follow along in a Bible or the words are also on the screen. As they approached Jerusalem and came to Bethphage and Bethany at the Mount of Olives, Jesus sent two of his disciples, saying to them, Go to the village ahead of you, and just as you enter it, you will find a colt tied there, which no one has ever ridden. Untie it and bring it here. If anyone asks you, Why are you doing this? Say, The Lord needs it, and will send it back here shortly. They went and found a colt outside in the street, tied at a doorway. As they untied it, some people standing there asked, What are you doing untying that colt? They answered as Jesus had told them to, and the people let them go. When they brought the colt to Jesus and threw their cloaks over it, he sat on it. Many people spread their cloaks on the road, while others spread branches they had cut in the fields. Those who went ahead and those who followed shouted, Hosanna! Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is the coming kingdom of our father David. Hosanna in the highest heaven. Jesus entered Jerusalem and went into the temple courts. He looked around at everything, but since it was already late, he went out to Bethany with the twelve. And then we're just going to read two verses from Zechariah. This is Zechariah chapter 9. And verses 9 to 10. Rejoice greatly, daughter Zion. Shout, daughter Jerusalem. See, your king comes to you, righteous and victorious, lowly and riding on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey. I will take away the chariots from Ephraim and the war horses from Jerusalem, and the battle bow will be broken. He will proclaim peace to the nations. His rule will extend from sea to sea and from the river to the ends of the earth. Now, if you have ever um, spent time reading the Gospel of Mark, you'll know that it's a book all about the coming of God's kingdom. Jesus could not stop announcing the coming of his kingdom in that Gospel. Jesus is king and he comes to announce a new, more magnificent kingdom that he calls us to submit to. 
in every word and action, Jesus sounds out this message. And I want to ask three questions this morning as we look at the passage in Mark together. Firstly, why did Jesus ride into Jerusalem that day in the way he did? Secondly, what does this tell us about who Jesus is? Who is this king? And thirdly, how should we respond to everything that he says? So firstly then, why did he ride into Jerusalem in the way he did? Well, there are a few different things that, uh, that we can look at here. Um, the first is about the, uh, the way that he comes. We are told in the passage that uh, he came from the way of Bethany and Bethphage. And if you know anything about the geography of Israel, and particularly around Jerusalem, um, Bethany is situated on the Jericho side of the Mount of Olives. The Mount of Olives rises nearly 3,000 feet above sea level. And uh, Jericho is right down at the bottom by the Dead Sea. So uh, the, the path that the pilgrims would take on their way into Jerusalem is they would start at Jericho and they would walk up a very, very long, uh, steep hill, very dusty road all the way up to the top of the Mount of Olives, uh, just the other side of Bethany. And uh, their reward for having made this incredible journey uh, was when they reached the summit of the Mount of Olives and you were awarded with the most spectacular view of the city of God, of Jerusalem, ahead of you on its own smaller summit across the Kidron Valley. And there's something that strikes me about this picture that at the long, end of this very long, hard journey, there's hope ahead, the majestic Jerusalem, God's city. And to me, it seems a bit like the journey that we make in life towards heaven. Life is hard and it can leave us tired and worn out. But what keeps us going is the knowledge of what lies ahead. And at the end, we will be rewarded with the most spectacular sight and our final entry into God's heavenly kingdom. The prophet Ezekiel even records a vision of a new Jerusalem where we will live with God forever. There's something very significant about this city. And I think this is, just, this is just another beautiful layer in God's story. And I believe that Jesus is, is telling us something in the path that he chose to take to Jerusalem. It's a well-trodden path. Thousands will have walked this same route before on their way into Jerusalem for the Passover festival. But he is the one who now embodies what it's all about. He is the one who embodies the hope of seeing Jerusalem at the end of the journey. And then why this time? Why did Jesus choose to enter Jerusalem in this way for the Passover festival? Timing is an important thing in the Bible. I don't believe that this is its by accident that this was the time that Jesus came to enter Jerusalem, that it was the time that marked uh, the start of the most significant week in his life and ministry that would culminate in his death and resurrection. You see, the Passover festival is one of the most important festivals for the Jewish people because it celebrates their freedom from slavery when God used Moses to lead them out of Egypt and into the promised land of Israel where they could finally live in peace from their enemies. 
It's no accident that Jesus chose the occasion of this particular festival to make his entrance. Jesus was leading the way to a new exodus, if you like. God's great Passover. Jesus himself would be the sacrifice which would enable us to enter a new promised land. So just a quick um, history lesson. The, par- the, the festival is called Passover because when God led the children of Israel out of Egypt, he instructed them to kill and eat a final meal of a lamb. It was to be a, a lamb without defect. And before they ate the lamb, they were to paint the blood of this lamb across the door frames of their houses. And by this, God would know that these were the homes of, of, of his children, of the Israelites, And when the final plague struck, he would pass over these houses that were marked with the blood of the lamb and they would not be hurt. And you can read more about that in Exodus 12. So you see, this is just more layers of this story. You begin to see the lamb and the blood. John the Baptist said of Jesus when he came to be baptized, Behold the lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. And every time we take communion, as we're going to do at the end of the service today, we drink wine to remember the blood of Jesus that sets us free from sin and delivers us into his kingdom. You see, as Jesus enters Jerusalem at Passover, he's sending a very clear message that he is to be the new Passover sacrifice. He will be the one to to mark our entry into a new promised land, a new kingdom. So it's really significant that uh, Jesus chooses this time to enter. So how then did he come? Much is often made of the fact that Jesus was riding on a colt, the foal of a donkey, and uh, a whole load of the children's Bibles we own, they all have this picture on the front of Jesus on this donkey coming into Jerusalem. And I I want to suggest that the manner of his entry is significant for two reasons. Firstly, it's the fulfillment of an ancient prophecy about the promised Messiah. We read uh, this passage from Zechariah. And in this passage, it talks about how the Messiah would come righteous and victorious, lowly and riding on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey. Jesus chose this way of entering the city because he wanted to send a very clear message that he is the promised Messiah, that he comes in this way to fulfill this prophecy. And we don't know how many people who were there at the time would have realized the significance of this action, but certainly looking back on the events of this week, it would have resounded really clearly to anyone who knew their prophets. And secondly, Jesus chose a a colt, a small foal to ride on and not a horse or a more majestic animal to ride on because he wanted to show clearly that he is a king like no other. Zechariah says it so well when he says that the Messiah would come righteous and victorious, lowly and riding on a donkey. And it, it might seem a bit of a sort of a juxtaposition, like the words righteous and victorious don't really seem to fit very well with the words lowly and donkey. And and this is a 
a problem, of course, that many people had with Jesus when he came, is that you're not this mighty warrior who we were expecting. But Jesus doesn't fit any stereotypes. He is a king like no other. He is righteous. He is holy and pure. And he wins victory over sin and death for us. And yet he's also humble in everything he does. He doesn't enter with any pomp or ceremony, but he enters as a humble servant, laying down his life for his people. That's how he secures victory for us. He is the true servant king. And so the way he comes into to Jerusalem, again, is, is very significant. It's Jesus telling us something about the kind of king who he is. He is a servant king. And how then do the crowds respond to him? Well, they spread their cloaks on the ground. They uh, wave palm branches and lay those before him. And they sing shouts of praise. Crowds would often sing the words of Psalms 113 to 118 during Passover. They were known as something called the Hallel. And the words, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, which we read in the Mark passage, they come from Psalm 118. We read a bit of it this morning for worship. And this psalm is the pinnacle of these psalms of praise. At Passover, as well as celebrating all that God had done for them during the Exodus, the Israelites were also looking forward to the promised Messiah, who they knew would come and set them free for good. And so these were verses that would have been sung at the time. And so when the crowds shouted these verses at Jesus as he entered Jerusalem, many would not have realized that they were singing them to the very one who would fulfill these promises. And yet there would have been a heightened sense of expectation and hope at the time of Passover of God's promised Messiah. And perhaps having witnessed many miracles in the weeks before that Jesus had performed, there may well have been a hope amongst the crowd that Jesus might just be the one they were hoping for. And they use the word Hosanna. Hosanna um, in the Aramaic just means save us, but it, again it was a shout often used in addressing kings. It's used um, of David. And it's another important message about Jesus' kingship. He is a king. And we see in the shouts that the crowd are shouting that, that they, they absolutely speak of who Jesus is and, and who he's, what he's come to do for them. And yet also this sense that they also don't really get it yet either. And it's just so clever the way the whole thing fits together. And looking back on it, we can just look in amazement at the words that were used for those who who hadn't even fully understood at the time who this man was riding into Jerusalem before them. So what does all of this tell us about Jesus? We've established that Jesus was telling a great story in the actions that he took that day. A story of who he is and what he's come to do. It's an acted out parable, a deliberate and symbolic act of Jesus, his self-disclosure of who he is to those around him who would have eyes to see. And I want to suggest that there are three particular things that it tells us about Jesus. The first is that Jesus is the promised Messiah. Jesus embodies that prophecy 
in Zechariah 9 because he wants us to understand that it is about him. All the way through the previous uh, three years of his ministry, Jesus has been pointing towards who he is. And finally here, he is saying so clearly, I am him, I am the Messiah, the promised one who you have been waiting for. I am the one who is going to lead the way to freedom for you. The second is that he is the true Lamb of God who would take away the sins of the world. He is the only gate to heaven. Entering Jerusalem at the Passover was not an accident. It was a deliberate and significant uh, choice because Jesus wanted us to see that he is the Passover lamb, the true Passover lamb, who would set them free not only from slavery in Egypt, but set them free to, from death itself to enter that eternal kingdom and that new Jerusalem. And I think it's, it's so important that we understand this, that there are so many layers to this story. And it's when we read the story of the Passover alongside the story of Holy Week, it is staggering how they match up together. I remember uh, when I was uh, a very young Christian listening to a Jewish guy come and give a talk, a Jewish Christian who was talking about... Uh, the Passover meal and the symbolism of what they do. And it was so fascinating. When you see it this side of the cross, you think, how could you not see that these actions that you've been performing for thousands of years scream out to who Jesus is? They match so closely with Jesus' own actions when he came to earth, and particularly in this final week. And it's, it's... it's staggering to see the only, the only way you can understand why people don't see fully, why the Jewish people couldn't see, is that there was a, a veil over them, that they just couldn't see what, what to us now seems so clearly, symbolically, an act of, this, of the, same, the same thing. And lastly, that Jesus is a servant king. Jesus wanted us to understand that he would not be the mighty warrior king that many were expecting. He wouldn't come riding on an impressive horse in full battle armor, ready to slay every enemy in his path. But he would defy every expectation and come as a lowly servant, laying himself down for the people he loved and thereby winning the ultimate victory through sacrifice. He demonstrated in the most spectacular way that love wins. And I think sometimes we wish that this wasn't the Easter story, that actually it wasn't a story marked with betrayal and suffering and death. I think sometimes we wish that at Easter we didn't have to walk around with a cross. Somehow it seems like such a bleak symbol. We'd rather it was a, a, you know, a a war victory or something that we could shout um, about. But it isn't because Jesus is so unlike the king who we expected him to be. But what Jesus is showing us is that it's really very important that he comes like this. That in our minds we think that victory is about crushing and defeating those beneath us when it's really about coming to serve and to suffer with them. And that Jesus is a king like no other because 
he doesn't just lift us from the valley and put us on the top of the mountain. He comes down to the valley and leads us up the mountain. And that's where he starts, is he starts there and he leads us up. And and that's why Jesus is such a comfort to us, isn't it? When we are suffering, because he's a suffering king as well. He came and suffered everything that we will suffer, endured it all with us and for us, and gives us that hope that there is victory at the end. So how this morning should we respond then uh, to this message that Jesus is sending us? Firstly, I want to ask, do you recognize the king? Do you know that Jesus is the promised Messiah sent by God to be the ultimate Passover sacrifice for you and for me? That he is the ultimate expression of God's love for us. What this means is that you see that your life isn't as it should be, that there are things in our lives, we often call it sin, that keep us at a distance from God. We recognize that we need to find a way back to him and that God himself has provided the way in the person of Jesus and that you want to follow him as your king today. Know that God loves you. He loves you so much that he sent his son Jesus to die for you, to lead you into Jerusalem. If you've never acknowledged Jesus as your king and your saviour, then why not do so today? Jesus has come declaring himself to be the path to freedom, freedom from sin and from every chain we feel constrained by. He's come to lead us into a new life, a new kingdom where he reigns and where he has already conquered death for us. uh, In a minute, I'm just going to say a simple prayer and if you want, you can acknowledge that with me second if you know that Jesus is your king will you raise your voice in praise to him this morning will you declare that he is the one who comes in the name of the Lord bringing in the long awaited eternal kingdom promised long ago will you spread your cloak on the ground and shout Hosanna how willing are we to publicly declare that Jesus is king It's a challenge, isn't it? Let's start this morning by joining in songs of praise as we finish our service this morning. And lastly, are you willing to keep following Jesus into Jerusalem, knowing that what lies ahead is trouble, controversy, trial and death? Christ Christian means little Christ, a follower of Jesus. And Jesus calls us to follow him where he goes. And that path isn't an easy one. There will be times of joy and rejoicing just as at his triumphal entry to Jerusalem. But following that, there may be times of trial and ultimately death. Many of us will not be called to literally lay down our lives for Jesus, to die a physical death, because we're blessed to live in a nation that doesn't, persecute Christians physically but we are called to lay down our lives in many other ways will you choose to follow Jesus when it costs you to do so when you will you choose to stand with him against the majority around you will you choose to live a life of generosity putting others before yourself in the way of our servant king who came lowly and riding on a donkey.
will you turn down promotion in order to have time to serve Jesus in the way he calls you to do? Or will you sacrifice a night out with friends to join with the church to pray? Will you join us on Friday when we step outside of these very safe walls and we walk around our village carrying a cross in remembrance for what he has done? Are you willing to look a little strange, a little puzzling, a little weird to those around you and stand with us in the memorial garden as Phil tells those who will come and listen to why we do what we do, why we follow this Jesus to the cross? The life of one following Jesus is a, is a challenging one. And Jesus knows that more than any other. He must have looked so puzzling to people around him. Why are you like, you know, to Peter, his cries, you know, no, Lord, you can't. You're not going to die. You know, Jesus knows what it's like to live a life that is so contrary to what is expected. But he asks us to do the same. And it's challenging, but we see that the life that Jesus led is the, is the only way. It's the only way to real victory over everything else in our life. It's victory when we are willing to lay down ourselves, to lay down everything else, and to put him first, and to trust that he is the one who is going to lead us to victory, to the new Jerusalem. So we're just going to take a few minutes now. We're just going to take some time to be quiet, to reflect on all that Jesus wants to speak into our lives this morning.